Welcome to Sound Prince Audio Magazine, a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind. Sound Prince is underwritten by the American Printing House for the Blind and the Louisville Downtown Lions Club. I'm Carla Rushville. I'm your host for this week's magazine. This is Sound Prince for the week of April 22, 2018. If you are a movie and or TV fan, audio description probably plays an important part in your life, or at least it should. Here is a message posted this week about the ever-increasing resources available related to audio descriptions. This next post is from Dan Spoon, ACB First Vice President, and is a mid-month ADP update posted on ACB Leadership on April 18, 2018. Dan says, For your information, here are the latest audio description updates on our ADP website. There's lots of exciting news and articles. We now have over 1,500 titles on our AD Master List, and you can subscribe to the AD Listserv from the ADP website. Special thanks to Fred Brack for all of his dedication and hard work. And Fred's post on the audio description list is as follows. I, your webmaster, was away for the first two weeks of this month, but boy do I have a lot to report now. Lots has happened lately, so the purpose of this note is to urge you to check out our website at www.acb.org. For instance, nine new described DVDs this month, 46 year-to-date. Thirteen new described videos on Amazon's Prime Video. We're back on track for updates. 16 new described videos on Netflix. A really interesting article about an NYC museum with lots of description, including online. A podcast on the history of audio description in sports. An article covering additional airlines offering audio described movies triggered by experiencing two new ones in our travels. A request for video or written testimonials to help ActiveView convince movie studios to share their audio description tracks for use with handheld devices. A request for survey participants to help Ryerson University justify creating a new course with or without a certificate for accessibility in media and broadcasting. If you are interested in becoming an audio describer, there are two classes in July. See our training and education page. And nominations are now open for the annual ADP Achievement Awards. Nominate your favorite individual or organization. Fred Brack, Webmaster and Social Media Manager. For the ACB's Audio Description Project, ADP, www.acb.org. If you had the chance to participate in gene therapy, have some vision restored, would you do it? If you could have an operation that promises the possibility of the restoration of some vision, would you do it? What would you consider useful vision? There are countless questions surrounding the restoration of sight. Alan Peterson, an ACB board member from North Dakota, lost his vision a number of years ago from retinitis pigmentosa, RP. This past January, he had an operation on his left eye 
that gave him the ability to see light. He is now learning how to interpret that light into useful information he can use for specific tasks. He describes the procedure, what he can see, and the prospects for the future in a visit with us on page 2. What do you think about this operation? We were saddened to learn that Sue Amateur of Washington State had passed away on April 7. Sue was an advocate extraordinaire, and she has touched the lives of many of us in ways that most of us have probably never known. I just spoke with Sue around the middle of March when she called to pay her 2018 Lua dues and I can't believe that that was our last conversation. Page 3 of Soundprints this week contains three posts that are tributes to Sue's memory. They will help you know how much Sue has meant to people who are blind or visually impaired over the years. First is a message from Baba Costa of California describing in a few words how Sue stood bravely in support of Californians in the Federation in the mid-1970s when they were being purged from the NFB. Then comes a slightly longer message from Judy Wilkinson, current president of the California Council of the Blind, that will give you a glimpse of Sue's personality and commitment to advocacy for people who are blind. Finally, Sue's work related to the accessibility of information from the American Cancer Society, talking prescription labels, talking ATM machines, the accessibility of Major League Baseball websites, and so much more is detailed in an excellent article by Lainey Feingold, one of the attorneys who has partnered with ACB over the years to make this a far more accessible world for people who are blind or visually impaired. We hope you enjoy learning a little more about Sue Amateur on page 3. And on page 4 is the Sound Prince calendar. Page 2. I'm talking today with Alan Peterson. Alan is a member of the ACB Board of Directors, has been on the board since 2010. And um, like some of our other interviews recently, we're not going to be talking about ACB with with Alan today. We're going to be talking about... Uh, an eye operation that is uh, really interesting. Uh, Perhaps some of you have heard about this concept in the past, but um, Alan has had a very interesting surgery done, and he's going to be telling us about it today. So welcome, Alan. We're real glad you're here. Thank you, Carla. And in case you don't, people don't know, Alan is from North Dakota, and so um, we're going to be hearing a mixture here of my Kentucky accent and his North Dakota accent, so that should be really interesting. Alan, tell us what um, what this is all about. What kind of what kind of um, information, what kind of um, surgery you found out about, and how you've gone about getting involved with this, and what it's done. So we'll just let you take it and. We may jump in and ask a question here and there. So. You bet. It's your turn. Okay. Thank you. Yes. Well, I uh, I heard about this uh, procedure from my ophthalmologist. He had attended a, a conference in Chicago. That was about a year ago. And he called me from the conference all excited because he had witnessed uh, some patients at the conference that had this 
surgery in this system um, and were benefiting from it. They, he felt that they were uh, more independently mobile, and he felt that I was a perfect candidate for this procedure. It's called Argus II, and it's uh, a company out of California that started this called Second Sight. And so um, I, you know, I wanted to, to hear from patients that have had it done before I went ahead, and I was supplied with uh, those names, and I did call those people, and uh, they were encouraging. So um, I, I went, I, I decided to go ahead after uh, uh, visiting the people at Un uh, University of Minnesota Eye Clinic. Uh, doctor, uh, the doctor there that did the surgery is Dr. Montezuma, and she's uh, from uh, South America. Uh, I think she's from Colombia. But anyway, uh, I uh, <clears throat> first I had to have cataracts removed in my eye before they, they did that. Uh, they needed a, a clear path for the, uh, the uh, visual image to go to. And uh, so I, I did have that done. That was done here locally. Mm -hmm. And then uh, the surgery was done at the University of Minnesota uh, on January 29th. Mm -hmm. And I had to wait a while before it, it, uh, there's a chip that's put in your retina. So it's in the retina of my left eye, and it's in the macula area on my left eye. And um, so it, pretty invasive surgery. So it, um, my, my wife said my, my eye looked like a piece of hamburger after oh, it was yeah. over with. But, uh. Uh, um, so it took about, uh, I got, I got the, the glasses and the glasses have a camera. Uh, it's on the in the middle on the bridge. It's on the bridge of my nose, but it's in the middle of the glasses, um, and it communicates with a visual processing unit that I carry. It's like a like the old handy cassette. It's about that same size. Uh, the, those uh, portable handy cassette recorders, and so. Um, and that, and the glasses have a coil or an antenna, um, so uh, the ca camera captures the image. It goes to um, the visual processing processing unit, which processes it, and then it, there's a, a wire that goes, a cord that runs from the, the visual processing unit up to um, the antenna, and um, there's another antenna that's in the lateral rectus muscle of my eye, and it's a Bluetooth connection between the two. And so the electronic signal goes from uh, the, the glass, the coil, or the antenna on the glasses to the antenna in my eye. And um, this a chip. This chip is an array, and there's 60 pixels, 60 electrodes. And um, that signal then is picked up by my optic nerve, and that signal then goes back 
to my uh, visual cortex, and and I see pulses of light, and uh, I when I see a pulse of light, I know there's a, a change contrast in the visual field. So if there's something something like um, a black object against a white background, that'll give me a strong signal. So, um, but I can see uh, like a a plate on the table, I can follow it around uh, the perimeter. Uh, the camera only has a 15 degree angle, so you have to move move your head. You can't move your eye. <laughs> you have to move you have to move the camera so you can pick up the perimeter of uh, whatever you're looking at. So uh, you can pick. I can pick up the edge of doorways. That that gives me a strong signal. Um, so, but I'm learning how to use it. I've only had it. Uh, a few a few weeks so um, but it's only it uh, it is only used by it's only been used by people who have no sight anymore who are people who have had retinitis pigmentosa okay so can you use it outside yes, yes. and how do you how do you do that how does that work you know can you see things like you know, steps down or yes. things. Yes. Okay, can, tell us about uh, that. Yeah, well, you can see you can see the steps. Um, you know, there's. Um, I can see, but I don't. It's not. Uh, it's not very good at this point. I use my cane. You know, you have to use your cane. Uh, you can't rely on uh, this. Um, the glasses themselves, really. Um, they they caution me use my cane and uh, you got to because uh, you can't the, the technology isn't there at this point to to be totally reliant on this technology you mm -hmm. have to use your cane uh, so Alan um, how long I mean can you can you can you detect a lag in the time that you begin investigating something to when you um, when you can decide what it is I mean how, how long does that how long how long does it take for you to 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 be able to use the image that you're seeing um, well uh, it, it probably takes me uh, you know a few seconds to, de mm -hmm. to determine what it is at this point Mm -hmm. But I, I'm guessing that some people that are more familiar with using it can can make a quicker determination. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, so I assume that in the time that you've had it, you if, looking back that today you're a lot more efficient with it than you were when you first when you first yes. had the surgery. Yes. Yes. Right. Right. So do you anticipate? That that learning curve will continue. Does it seem to be continuing? Yes, it it does seem to be continuing to get better. Right. I mean, um, my ability to to see things or to determine things uh, using it are getting better. Mm -hmm. um, it's. I mean, it's not leaps and jumps, uh, but uh, it, it's slowly getting better. Right. Mm -hmm. Did you have vision? You say you have RP. 
Yes, I had normal sight as uh, when I was growing up. Um, I, I was diagnosed with uh, RP when I was in my early 30s. Mm-hmm. And um, over about a 10-year period, I, I lost it all. Mm-hmm. I went from uh, having lost some peripheral vision to the point of legal blindness to, to pretty much total, total loss of sight mm-hmm. over a 10-year period. Mm-hmm. So you then do have some uh, memory of objects and so on, and I, I would imagine that could be very helpful in learning indeed, to use this. It is indeed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it, it is very helpful to know um, how things looked and, and have it. You know, I, I, when I um, hear a person's voice, I have a, I have a kind of an image of what they might look like from, from listening to their voice uh, based on people that I've that I knew when I grew up, I think it, it uh, yeah, it, it's, it's very helpful, really. Can you see color with this? Uh, when I, um, there's shades of, of color. Um, sometimes it's uh, kind of a bluish hue to the white uh, flash of light. Sometimes it's an orange-reddish hue. So it's it is in the macula, so I I would guess it's stimulating some something there that's giving me some color. But mm-hmm. I don't see color, uh, no, like I did in the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, so when you see the orangish or the bluish tint to the white, do you know if it's is that matching up to what the actual color is of the object? Mm, no, because it's kind of consistent. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. so I know it's not uh, it's not something that's <laughs> orange or blue. It's it's mm-hmm. something that's 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 uh, internal to the uh, mm-hmm. to the system. So color vision is not part of this no, particular not. system. No. Um, will you have? Will they do this with your other eye as well? No, it's it's a single. Uh, it's a monocular system at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm. Participating in two studies um, to determine how this can be made, how improvements can be made. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> and I'm hope they say that this technology is at a at the point where cochlear implants were about 30 years ago. Oh, yeah. Um, so the same company that developed these. The, the cochlear implants is the company that is uh, doing this um, doing this technology now mm-hmm. out of out of, out of southern, southern California. There, mm-hmm. um, that's their base. There, there are 18 sites around the country and in Canada. There's a couple in Canada also that are doing this uh, surgery. And this uh, implanting the the chip and um, utilizing this technology, and then there's a few countries around the world as well. Uh, there's two. Uh, they told me about 230 surgeries have been done worldwide. Mm-hmm. About half of those have been done in in 
in the U.S. Uh, in North America, mm-hmm. America, USA, and Canada. Mm-hmm. Right. So, um, as as they improve the um, the things that you know, the, some of the I would imagine some of the software or whatever. Then, uh, do they update your 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 pack that you carry around? Yes, um, because I'm participating in the studies, they, they want to get me uh, the newest technology so, mm-hmm. so they can, you know, evaluate uh, the improvements they make, I guess. Sure, yeah, yeah. And so in a typical day, um, how does this affect your typical day at this point? Well, I don't use it because uh, you can't read with it. You can't really see what's on um, a computer screen. And I spend most of my day with the computer um, or on the phone uh, or going to meetings <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, or on conference calls for ACB. <laughs> oh, yes. Plenty of those, aren't there? <laughs> <laughs> There's a few of those, yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Yes. But, uh, it isn't. It is uh, what I. My intent on using it uh, to its best effect is is to use it for mobility. You know, getting gaining more independence as far as mobility, mm-hmm. you know, traveling more independently. That's that's my hope. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's my goal. Mm-hmm. So do they? Um, anticipate that you will be able to use this eventually pretty much without your cane or um, or that you just will become less reliant on the cane's cues you know how, how do they anticipate that that this information will happen fast enough to um, to make you be able to use this in your environment sure. you know reliably and safely they were very emphatic about uh, my using the continuing to use the cane, and they never, they have not said anything about uh, at some point, not yet anyway, that I would wouldn't be wouldn't there would be a day when I wouldn't be using my cane. Mm-hmm. So, no. but uh, but I'm, you know, Alan, um, even you know it. it even with some vision with that with the cane it, it would seem that that could make it easier to travel yes it does yeah it's have you way. noticed that so far has that happened well slowly yeah. mm-hmm. right slowly mm-hmm. yeah picking up the edge of the of uh, the sidewalk and uh, we don't have green grass here yet but <laughs> <laughs> yeah but the sidewalk in the snow and Oh, I bet that was hard. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, but it might not be if you have if you have the the white snow and then the dark right. sidewalk where the snow's shoveled off. Uh, but you probably had trouble detecting snowdrifts. Snow. Well, yeah, what we would what call a snowdrift here. <laughs> you probably call just a small pile of snow. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No. Um, it, it works with. It works best with the contrast. Uh, so that there's, you know, if there's just a plain white background, it's not gonna, mm-hmm. it's gonna not gonna help you a lot. Mm-hmm. 
you know, I I had RP, and but my onset when I was a child, and um, but I remember how helpful it was to walk along in not in not in winter so much, but but um, when there was you know dark the dark the the green grass the dark um, line to follow and the cement sidewalk. I mean, being able to see that was always really helpful right and so you know it i think it it probably does probably what you're thinking is um i think what i'm understanding is that it would give you more confidence moving around in your environment so you could move quicker yes yeah yes absolutely yeah and i don't think sometimes that people um who have very good vision, be it, you know, sighted people or people who are visually impaired, but who have pretty good vision, I don't think that they sometimes appreciate how important um, being able to see uh, the, um, the, the, you know, where, let's just say where shadows typically are um, in, in your neighborhood. If you're walking down your sidewalk and there's typically... Um, you know, a large tree somewhere, and it typically casts a particular shadow on the sidewalk when, if you're, you know, if you have a schedule and so on. That can be really helpful. Um, and, or it can be helpful to be able to see that shoreline and, um, or to see when, even if you can't, I never could see this a step down, but I could see where the sidewalk ended and the dark, uh, the black top of the street began. So even though, you know, if if I couldn't see the step, if it's somewhere I was familiar with, I knew when I got to the corner. Mm-hmm. And and I I'm not sure that people who have quite a bit of vision understand how important that can be to a person um, who just has a little bit of vision. Well, the system seems to work even better at night um, mm. because there's you know there's the there's a lot of dark, and then mm-hmm. it, whatever is illuminated, uh, it'll pick up that mm-hmm. that light, that contrast. Now that's an interesting. Can you tell us a little more about that? Because oftentimes with RP, that you know, night vision is really a problem sometimes. Sure. Yes. Yes. Well. Um, yeah. To to pick up a light, uh, the source of a light, you know, that's that's. Uh, you know, you know if if uh, if you know where that light is, it it can uh, give you um, a base where you can head toward <laughs> toward the light, so to speak, and uh, um, that that can be uh, very helpful mm-hmm. in in your mobility. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. So from the time that you found out about this, that, that your doctor called you, mm-hmm. uh, until you did the surgery, what kind of process did you go through for them to determine that you were, in fact, a good match for this surgery? Sure. I, I mean, you told us you had that, that cataract surgery, but mm-hmm. uh, but but just if, if that had not been there, what would have been the process? Sure. Well, um, I, I learned where... You know, it would 
where the people that the centers that were doing it were located, and there are two in Minnesota, one at the University of Minnesota and one at Mayo, and we are much we're closer to the University of Minnesota where we live. Mm-hmm. So it was a four-hour drive to from for for us from Fargo to the University of Minnesota, Minneapolis. Whereas to Rochester would have been seven. Oh my! And uh, so uh, I went. Uh, I went there in August of last year to uh, get an evaluation to determine if I was a, if I was a good candidate. And they said I was. Uh, I, I passed that evaluation that. Uh, that I would be a good candidate, and then the first step after that was to get the cataracts removed. I had cataracts because of retinitis pigmentosa, mm-hmm. and uh, my eye doctor, who actually encouraged me to do this, he did the surgery to remove the cataracts. So, um, <clears throat> and uh, then. The next step was to have the surgery to have the implant, the retinal implant, put in. And um, I could have had it done uh, in early December, but I chose to have it done after Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first opportunity, the, the best opportunity for us was on January 29th, so that's when it was done. Now, since then, what what has been happening? How often do you go back for for um, checkups? I assume they want to follow yeah, that they, surgery. Sure. Um, well, the first week it was you know I went back a couple times. Uh, I mean, I was I stayed there, mm-hmm. but then um, I have to go back every three months, uh, and uh, so. I'm coming up on three months here pretty soon, and then um, six months, nine months, a year, and then uh, annually after that. But because I'm participating in these studies, um, one done by the University of Washington and one done by the University of Minnesota, uh, I have to. Tra- I probably be traveling more more often back to Minneapolis than just those, you know, three-month intervals. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, it's, it, it's, uh, but I'm hoping that, that, you know, that I, I go get improvements from being involved with the, the studies, but that this would be a benefit to others down the road as well. Mm-hmm. So at this point, um, you, you you haven't been back for your checkup yet, but you have been living with us for almost three months. So at this point, if if you knew now, um, if you knew back then before the surgery what you know now, would would you do the surgery? Yes, <clears throat> yes, I would. Um, you know, I I was cautioned. You know that. You know you're not gonna. We're not gonna restore your sight like you had it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know I knew the that it was 
there were going to be limitations. So I I went in, went into this wise, eyes wide open, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Sorry about the pun, but well, <laughs> but it fits, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> right. Anyway, no, I uh, um, I would do it again. Sure, I would. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and uh, I'm. I think there's a lot of potential as far as uh, uh, improvements and as far as I know I'm, I'm confident that I can uh, learn uh, how to use it better and that, I, that it will become a better, even better tool as time goes on. When you get up in the morning and, you know, just in your house, you know where let's just say where the windows are in the house. And so some mornings, you know, it's all gloomy, and other mornings it's nice and sunny. Um, in the evening, when the sun goes down, I mean, uh, uh, or or during the day, one of the most helpful things um, that I've heard a lot of people say, and, and for me, too, as, as the RP got worse and worse and vision disappears, one of the most helpful things, being able to see one of the little things, is just where those windows are, uh, where where there are cues, visual cues that you know where they are. Being able to tell, you know, if it's a bright day or a cloudy day. Can can you do some of those things with with this, or is that beyond the realm of the of, of the technology at this time? I would say it's. Probably beyond the technology. It, it, um, like it, it, like I say, it's uh, it works with contrast. So, okay. Um, uh, and it doesn't distinguish. Be really, I haven't found it that distinguishes uh, all that well between brightness and darkness. Um, I mean, um, but you know, the contrast is is the key. Um, mm-hmm. If there's good contrast, then you're going to get a you're going to get a good signal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I I guess I'll have to work with it a little more to mm-hmm. to, to better answer that question. I think in our minds, I. You know, when you've lived in a place forever, you have almost. And some people probably think this sounds really weird, but I, but I think we almost have. We have a mental image of what it looks like, and um, if if we've seen it, and um, and so you know, I was just wondering if uh, if that kind of thing that's sort of, I guess maybe a description of what um, some people see with light perception, if if that if that was also um, something that this could do. Sure. Yes. Um, yeah, well, it, uh, it will give you the, the edge of the window. I mean, uh-huh. okay. you, you can follow the edge of the window, um, the window frame, mm-hmm. or the door frame. Mm-hmm. It, it seems to work pretty, uh, pretty well for that, mm-hmm. right? Um, the banister on the stair, uh, I, I can pick that up. Too. Oh, really? Yeah. 
See, I, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have thought about that. That that's interesting, um, because to me that would be a, that would be something smaller that, um, you know. But that 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 is really um, uh, interesting. How much you know? So I imagine it's probably um, then, you know, not a correlation between something has to be a certain size or whatever. Um, if if it's the contrast, then um, yeah. whether it's large or small. Well, Alan, I think it would be really interesting for us to have another conversation in, you know, three months or six months and, and see where it's gone. I mean, you know, there could be, with there being a, a you know, such a, a learning curve with it, um, you know, you may in six months, you you know, there may not be a lot of change, but uh, I'm bet, I'm betting there will be. I'll, I'll bet, you know, <laughs> there, there. Well, I'm hoping, and I'm mm -hmm. yes, I'm hoping for for yeah. that as well. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I really appreciate this. I, I, it's a very interesting um, idea, and um, you know, as we hear more and more about the things that are being developed. I mean, we've heard all kinds of, um, of uh, research in the past about different devices, different systems. It seems as if it's moving further and further along the path of being able to create things that can actually be useful in the environment. Thank well, you. Thank you. Appreciate it very much, and good luck. Thank you. Thanks, thanks Carla. Page 3. ACB lost another great friend and advocate on April 7. Sue Amateur of Washington State passed away and we were all surprised to hear of her passing. The following note was posted from Bob Acosta on ACBL on April 8. Bob says, Dear friends, I was shocked to hear the passing of my dear friend Sue Amateur. I go way back to my Federation days when Sue was the only board member to stand with us as we fought to save the California Council of the Blind. She stood with the Washington Council as they were under attack as well. Together we survived and wisely joined the American Council of the Blind. Needless to say, Sue will be greatly missed as she brought her friendship, her great energy and work ethic to the American Council of the Blind. Rest in peace, dear friend. Love, Bob Acosta. Here is a post from Judy Wilkinson, currently president of the California Council of the Blind, posted on April 9 in memory of Sue Amateur. Judy writes, So long, Seattle Sue. I have known and admired Sue for decades. I first knew of her through the late Alan Jenkins, my longtime friend and mentor, who was director for decades of the Orientation Center for the Blind in Albany, California. In the late 1970s, he christened Sue, Seattle Sue, for obvious reasons to all you Triple Crown fans out there who may remember the famous horse Seattle Slough. Those of you who knew Sue know she had a mouth on her that could make, as they say, the proverbial sailor blush. Right in there with Alan and friends like me, the jokes that woman knew. 
I once remember at an ACB convention when the blind lawyers were still ABLA, American Association of Blind Lawyers, Sue introduced its president, Steve Spiker, as President of the Blind Liars, a total slip of the tongue, or was it, which had all of us, including Sue, in stitches. While I served on the Board of Publications, Sue attended most meetings with sharp, focused input. In recent years, at ACB convention, Sue, always the librarian to the end, hosted an event in support of her beloved National Braille Press. She was in a wheelchair by then, but still spirited, game, undaunted. We sat in the corner like teenagers, giggling, sharing secrets, commenting on everything, and somewhat cattily gossiping about everyone. What an advocate, what a role model, what a friend. Rest in peace. The following tribute to Sue Amateur, longtime member of the American Council of the Blind, was posted by Lainey Feingold on April 16, 2018. It is entitled, Sue Amateur, Blind Disability Rights Champion, Dies at 69. The list of Sue Amateur's advocacy roles could fill this post. Board member and often officer of the American Council of the Blind, the Washington State Council of the Blind, National Braille Press, Library Patrons Advisory Council of her local Braille and Talking Book Library. These are just some of the organizations Sue Amateur volunteered with on top of her paid work. Organizations that will miss the talent, commitment, and unstoppable advocacy of the Washington State resident who died on April 7, 2018. An Advocate's Career In college, Sue had wanted to be a physical therapist, but like many of her generation, she wasn't allowed into the program because she was blind. Sue switched her major to social welfare and had a full and meaningful 33-year career in that field. In 1975, Sue Amateur was the first person with a disability to work for the Washington State Human Rights Commission, the only non-lawyer on that agency's hearing tribunal. The first decision she participated in was overturned on the grounds that a blind person not qualified to be a fact-finder, not one to accept a civil rights injustice, Sue appealed that ruling and got it overturned. Once the ADA became law in the early 1990s, Sue became the manager of a statewide ADA training project that trained 6,000 state employees on ADA and the new civil rights law. Sue loved the advocacy and she loved her work. Most of my work life was a blast, she told me when I interviewed her for my book in 2014. I was interviewing Sue Amateur because, on top of the advocacy, on top of the paid employment, Sue was one of the blind activists around the United States who has made the success of structured negotiation possible. American Cancer Society Structured Negotiation In my book, Structured Negotiation, A Winning Alternative to Lawsuits, I write about how Sue Amateur was the activist behind our structured negotiation with the American Cancer Society, ACS. And here is a quote from the book. When Sue Amateur was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2007, she had been active in the blind community for almost 40 years. A fluent Braille reader, Amateur was hungry for information about treatment options. Yet, she could not get a single page of Braille 
from the American Cancer Society, even though the organization offered information in many languages. Structured Negotiation, A Winning Alternative to Lawsuits, page 23. Sue was active in the American Council of the Blind's Health Access Committee when she first brought the issue of blind people's need for accessible cancer information to our attention. Linda Dardarian and I wrote an opening structured negotiation letter to the American Cancer Society emphasizing Sue's experiences. The initiative was a success. Without the need for a lawsuit and with the help from ACB, Sue and other blind people impacted by cancer, the American Cancer Society, ACS, committed to making their website more accessible and offering print information in Braille, large print, and audio formats. The collaboration that began with Sue Amateur's efforts continued after that first agreement was signed. In 2012, the ACS announced that it would make more documents available in Braille and audio formats, two methods Sue and countless other blind people used to read. This structured negotiation success would not have happened without Sue Amateur's persistence, commitment, and strategic advocacy. Kim Charlson, President of the American Council of the Blind, agrees. The American Cancer Society agreement was an important milestone in the blind community's continued quest for independent access to health information. There is no doubt that Sue Amateur was instrumental in helping the country's largest provider of cancer information reached that milestone. More structured negotiation efforts benefit from Sue Amateur's help. The Accessible Cancer Information Initiative was not the only structured negotiation that Sue Amateur participated in. Looking back over my emails after she died, I marveled at her commitment to the many cases. Whether her role was as large as it was in the cancer access case or smaller as it was in many others, Sue Amateur always had time to answer a question, make a referral, or generally lend support. In 2008, she and I emailed about Bank of America talking ATMs in Washington State. Linda Dardarian and I were at the tail end of monitoring the bank's expansive structured negotiation commitment to install talking ATMs at every ATM location in the United States. That same year, Sue and I emailed about our negotiation with the nation's three credit reporting agencies that led to free accessible credit reports for blind people across the country. A year later, she helped out with the Weight Watchers Accessible Information Negotiation. For 2010, I found emails from Sue in connection with a historic structured negotiation with Walmart that led the company to become the first in the United States to provide talking prescription labels to blind pharmacy customers. And throughout our structured negotiation with Major League Baseball, MLB, Sue was always quick to respond with helpful information about her beloved Seattle Mariners. She was one of many blind baseball fans whose efforts helped convert MLB from a potential adversary to a champion of digital accessibility across all its channels and with all its teams. In structured negotiation and her other advocacy work, Sue Amateur had all the qualities that make activists succeed. As my colleague Linda Dardarian wrote me when I told her I was writing this piece, 
quote, Sue's advocacy was persistent and effective not through dogmatism or aggressiveness, but through honesty, frankness, and humor. Sue connected with our negotiating partners in a real, human, down-to-earth, and natural way that brought out the best in them as well. Linda Dardarian, Civil Rights Lawyer The world is a better, more accessible place thanks to Sue Amateur's work. I will miss her. Page 4. The Sound Prince Calendar April 25, the Bluegrass Council of the Blind will have a peer support group meeting from noon to 2 p.m. at the BCB office in Lexington, 1093 South Broadway. For more information, call 859-259-1834. April 26 is the next Savvy Workshop in Owensboro. This one is on nutrition and exercise from 10 a.m. to noon Central Time. Join Savvy as they share exercise and nutrition tips at the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. For more information, call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 or Bill Roberts at 270-485-8170. On April 26th, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have its next peer support group meeting in Louisville, 1.30 to 3.30 p.m., at United Crescent Hill Ministries, free for all who wish to attend. The phone number to call for more information is 502-895-4598. On April 27 is the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Spring Quarterly Meeting. Elections, information about upcoming ACB National Conference and Convention, and much more at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Roundabout activities from 3.30 until 5.00. Registration and bargain table begins at 4.30, the program begins at 5.15, dinner at 6, and business meeting to follow. All activities will conclude by 8.30 p.m. For more information and to sign up, call 502-895-4598. April 28 is the Competitive World of Blind Sports from 1 to 3 p.m. at the American Printing House for the Blind. From casual recreation to the Olympics and the Paralympics, people who are blind or visually impaired participate in every possible sport, from team sports like baseball and goalball to archery, cycling, golf, judo, swimming, and skiing. Meet athletes who have excelled at their sport, sometimes with special adaptive equipment, but always through their own innate abilities and drive. At the APH Museum, 1839 Frankfurt Avenue. Free, but best for adults and children 8 and up. Pre-register by calling 502-899-2213. Looking ahead into May, on May 1, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will hold their conference peer support group meeting. 8 p.m. Eastern Time on the conference line at 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. Individuals statewide experiencing low vision are encouraged to call in, ask questions, share tips, and offer comments. On May 3, the American Council of Blind Lions will have their monthly conference call meeting. This is a meeting for blind lions from around the country. 
It's an excellent opportunity to share ideas about how to be involved in local clubs. It's at 9 p.m. Eastern Time, 6 p.m. Pacific. The number is 712-432-3900 and the code is 796096. On May 5, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will hold its Derby Party. Doors open at 10 a.m. and the party will conclude at 8 p.m. Plan to come early, stay late, and enjoy friends, games, and fun, and food all day long. $5 per person at United Crescent Hill Ministries. Sign up by calling 502-895-4598. On May 6, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have committee meetings by phone. The Advocacy Committee will meet at 7 p.m. and the Education, Activities, and Technologies Committee, EAT Committee, will meet at 8 p.m. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On May 8, the Support Alliance of the Visually Impaired, SAVVY, in Owensboro will hold its monthly meeting from 1 to 3 p.m. Central Time. This will be a social with games, cake and cookies and drinks, discuss a garage sale, social committee meeting. At the Wing Avenue Baptist Church, 628 Wing Avenue in Owensboro. Call Rick Bogus at 270-684-4418 for more information. May 8 is Founders Day at the Kentucky School for the Blind. From 12 noon until about 1.30 p.m. with a tree planting to follow. For more information, call the Kentucky School for the Blind at 502-897-1583. On May 9, the Northern Kentucky Council of the Blind will hold its monthly meeting at 7 p.m. by conference call. The number is 605-475-4700 and the code is 155-619. Please note that this is a meeting date change for NKCB. They will now be meeting the second Wednesday of each month at 7 p.m. rather than the second Thursday. For more information, call 859-781-7369. On May 9, the KCBPR Membership Committee will meet at 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Call 605-475-6006 and enter code 294444. On May 10, the Kentucky Council of Citizens with Low Vision will have a support group meeting from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. at United Crescent Hill Ministries, 502-895-4598 for more information. May 11, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind will have a roundabout, 3.30 to 5 p.m. Education and Technology, Discussion Time and Tip Sheet, 5 to 6 Dinner, 6 to $7, $5 per person. Bingo, $2 per person. Other games and crafts from 7 to 10. At United Crescent Hill Ministries, call 502-895-4598 to sign up. On May 12, the Greater Louisville Council of the Blind Board will have its monthly meeting at 11 a.m. by conference call 605-475-6006, enter code 294444. On May 13, KCB Next Generation will have its next telephone meeting, open to all individuals 40 and under throughout Kentucky. The phone number is 605-475-6006. The code is 294444, and the time is 8 p.m. Eastern. And 
June 29 through July 6 is the annual American Council of the Blind Conference and Convention in St. Louis, Missouri. Listen to Soundprints for more information about the upcoming convention and how you can participate in the convention by receiving a stipend to attend from the Kentucky Council of the Blind. We want to have a large crowd in St. Louis, and we hope you're making plans now to attend. If you have questions about the Kentucky Council of the Blind, or you need information on resources for people with vision loss, call us at 502-895-4598 or email us at kcb at kentucky-acb.org. Sound Prince is a production of the Kentucky Council of the Blind and is heard each week on ACB Radio Mainstream at acbradio.org, Central Kentucky Radio I at radioi.org, and the KCB website at www.kentucky-acb.org. Complete schedule information is also available on the website. Sound Prince is underwritten by the Louisville Downtown Lions Club, and by the American Printing House for the Blind. This is Carla Rushable for Soundprints. Have a great week, everybody.